Being a millennial, you might think that I am all up to date with technology, but when it comes to speaking, I've always preferred a paper copy. I've always liked the idea. I've always been really, really nervous about having an iPad up here because I do something like that and throw it down on the ground and it's going to break or someone's going to give me a phone call. Mom, if you're watching, please don't call me. I know I'm doing good, but just, you know, let me, let me preach first. Um, any, anyways, but then I thought, you know, Pastor Jerry comes up here with an iPad all the time, and he has faith, so I, I, I should just give it a shot. So I'm giving it a shot today. So if something goes wrong, I'm sorry, but we're going give to give it a shot. So today we are going to be talking about missing the mark. That's the name of our message today. If you're taking notes, you can say missing the mark. We live uh, in a season right now that's, that's especially heavy. It's, it's, it's hard to, to handle sometimes. There's, there's politics and there's a pandemic and, and there's all these sorts of things that's going on. And today was a, an especially heavy week as, as we saw a, a change of power in our White House. And there's probably people in this room that are very frustrated right now of that change of power. There's people in this room that are extremely happy about that change of power. And then there's probably a bunch of people kind of in the middle that are like, man, I'm just, I'm just, I want Jesus to come back today. Like, I'm, I'm ready for, for things just to get a little bit better, you know. And, and, uh, and I'm not going to be talking a lot about politics today, but I just want you to know that I hope that no matter where you are on that spectrum, um, I just hope that we can all agree, we hope that the next four years are better than the last four years. And uh, I'm not saying that that's because President Biden's going to make the next four years better. I just hope all together we can just say, yeah, I, I hope that the future is better than the past, that we can always be looking forward and not looking behind us. And today, I think, as we, as we read our word today and our scripture and, and see what Jesus has to speak into our life today, I hope that today we can recognize as a part of looking forward that today is a good day to kind of turn the page and say, what am I going to do in these next four years or in the, in the years to come to play my part to make those next four years better? See, we live in a, in, a, in a day where people are quick to judge. If you're courageous enough, will you raise your hand? If you ever feel like anybody's judged your character because of something that you believe in or an opinion that you've had, I think we all have. And there's probably a lot of us, if you're even braver, you could say that you've probably judged someone because of something that they've believed in or, or something. I, I do it all the time. Uh, my wife says I, I judge people all the time, but I, I don't know. I, I think I'm okay. <laughs> but anyways, today we live in an age uh, where, where a term cancel culture is prevalent. I don't know if you've heard that term. It's kind of up and coming. Cancel culture. This idea that if, uh, if you disagree with me, then I'm just going to cancel you out of my life. If you're a business and I disagree with you, uh, I'm not going to support you financially. If you're a friend, I'm going to block you from all my social media. I'm not going to invite you over for Thanksgiving dinner if you're my family. You know, I'm just going to completely cancel you out of my life. And that's a slippery, slippery slope, and we're, that's a dangerous thing. It's a toxic thing that is, is happening in our culture today. We have um, people that say, you're either going to be on my side or you're going to be dead to me, and I'm just going to cancel you out. And uh, I, I see it, uh, this last week I was reading, do any of you guys know what the MyPillow is? It's a, it's a company, this guy makes these pillows, he has sheets and all these things. He's a, he's a conservative guy, he's pretty outspoken about his, his support for, for Donald Trump. And, and even when I see him on TV, I don't know a lot about him, but I just see him on TV and he's got this, like the biggest cross necklace I've ever seen. And he, he wears it, he's very you know, open about his faith. But he came out this last week and said that he believes that, uh, that the election was, was rigged. And... Um, 
no matter what your opinion is on it, I believe that he has a right to his own opinion, and I believe, you know, he should be able to have his own facts and come to his own conclusion, and that's totally fine. But because of cancel culture, the problem that we have is when he came out and said that, now his pillow is being taken off of the, the shelves all over the place and things just because of what his own personal opinions are. And in my, in my opinion, personally, um, you may disagree with me, but I just care if it's a good pillow or not. I, I really, you know, if he's a Trump supporter or a Biden supporter or whatever, you know, I, is it a good pillow or is it not a good pillow, you know? But in cancel culture, that's not good enough. We have to agree or disagree with people, and we make judgments on their character based off of if they fit our own personal standards of, of who, who someone should or shouldn't be. In the Bible, Jesus also dealt with cancel culture. There were Pharisees and these religious elite people that had laws and standards that were, that were originally given by God, but, but over time they had manipulated these laws. And then when they would j compare people, and if they missed the mark, uh, they would judge them and try and you know, kind of cancel them out or op oppress them. They tried to do it to Jesus. We're going to read, there's a lot of scriptures for us to read today, and um, in each scripture, I mean, you, you come uh, in, co in contact with Pharisees and, and Sadducees and these elite people that were trying to silence Jesus because he was threatening their, their set of standards that they had. So today, let's read, let's start by reading Luke chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 27 through 31. If you're watching at home, you don't have a Bible, we're going to throw the, the words on the screen. I should probably get there too, because I'm going to be reading it. Let me. Forgot about that part. Luke chapter 5, reading verses 27 through 31. It says Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In this story, Jesus is eating with tax collectors. And in that day and age, tax collectors were seen as the ultimate thieves and traitors of the people. See, so the Jews were oppressed by the Roman government, and the Roman government wanted to collect taxes. And the Romans said, well, what would be better than just sending Romans to collect the taxes of the people, let's get local people to collect the taxes for us. They know the, the region better, they know all the, the, the routes of trade better. And so essentially, tax collectors were like subcontractors for the Roman government. And so the Romans needed a certain tax, and so, and so the tax collectors, based off of merchandise or trade or, or routes of travel, would, would then tax, but they would always tax above what the Romans needed, because the tax collector needed to make a little bit of money too. For example, if Pastor Jerry came to me and said, uh, I want to start charging $5 for every car that comes into the church parking lot, uh, I would probably charge 10 because Pastor Jerry needs five, but I would want five too, right? And so that's what I would do. But then, but then what's to stop me if, oh, on Easter Sunday, everybody wants to come to church, right? So um, I'm going to charge 20 and I'm going to pocket 15 and Pastor Jerry still gets his five, um, but I'm going to make more money. And so you can kind of see that, that tax collectors, they were like 
local people, like your brother and sister, but they're, but they're oppressing you, you know, and, and, and they're gouging you, and, and they're thieves. And so for Jesus to eat with those people, um, you, would, you would probably think that Jesus aligned with them in some way. My grandma always told me growing up, birds of a feather flock together. And she told me that because uh, she saw I had some friends that were pretty bad influences on me. And she wanted me to know that, hey, if you keep hanging out with these guys, you know, you're going you're gonna to be like them. And, and I'm not disagreeing with that statement. I think it's a good thing to teach our kids. But um, that's, not, that's not always the situation. Jesus isn't a tax collector, and he wasn't necessarily even condoning their, their thievery, but, uh, but Jesus still ate with them. And so we see that the Pharisees were wondering, you know, what's going on here? I think as Christians, we could see ourselves possibly at times being like these Pharisees, seeing an action that someone is doing, and then kind of making a judgment call on who that person is because of what we've seen them do, even if we don't really know what their heart is in the situation. I know... Uh, a story, um, my grandmother, same grandmother that told me not to hang out with my uh, bad friends, she was also telling me a story about she took the, her pastor's wife out, and they were shopping, uh, and there was a, a tavern in Tacoma called the Cloverleaf, and uh, the Cloverleaf made the best pizza, but it was definitely a tavern. You had to be over 21 to get in. It was a little bit rougher. Anyways, they're, they're shopping, and, and it comes lunchtime, and they're kind of hungry, and the pastor's wife says, hey, I, I'm kind of I'm going for some pizza. My grandma said, oh, man, we got to go to the Cloverleaf. The Cloverleaf has the best pizza in town. She said, the Cloverleaf, that's a tavern. You would never catch me in a tavern eating with those sinners. And, uh, and that was a long time ago in a different day and age, and, and, and things are a little bit different now. But, but as a kid, I was thinking, man, that's, I don't see Jesus really doing that. You know, uh, I, don't see, I don't see Jesus uh, not eating with these tax collectors because they were sinners. In fact, Jesus tells the Pharisees, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous, or I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And if Jesus is going to work with the sinners, well, you better be okay with being around them, right? And so, um, but what we see here, and, and the, the point of this is that the Pharisees were trying to to compare Jesus to their man-made standards, and they were judging him. Um, but Jesus, we see that Jesus, he, he, he doesn't abolish the law that they were following, but he fulfills the law, and there's lots of laws that because of Jesus, we don't have to follow or we follow to a different standard today. And I want us to kind of go through that because it talks a little bit about how because of Jesus, uh, man-made standards are really of, of no use. Um, I think... As Christians, we come across lots of laws in the Old Testament, and we don't always have a good answer for why we follow some and don't follow others. And I'm going to try and do a, a quick, brief overview of, of kind of those things, because Jesus, Jesus encounters these laws and kind of changes them. In some ways, Jesus is a filter to some of these old laws, meaning that the old laws we don't need to follow anymore. Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, he filters those out. In other ways, Jesus is a lens to old laws in, in that, yes, we still follow the law, but Jesus, because of what he did, we're able to kind of get a better picture of what the law really means. And then in other ways, Jesus is a prism. If you know what a prism is, it's like a you know, three-sided shape, white light comes in, kind of think like 
Pink Floyd's album cover, you know, Dark Side of the Moon. You have the light coming in and this rainbow coming out. Uh, and, and so in those ways, uh, as Jesus is a prism to some laws, he says, yeah, the, the, the original law is good, but, but you're not understanding all how it's multifaceted. And actually, I'm going to be raising the bar on how, on what it means to follow this law. If you're confused, that's okay. We're going we're gonna to kind of get, get through this here. Let's turn to Mark chapter 7. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. It says, The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw that his disciples were eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. See, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give uh, their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the traditions of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Jesus' reply is this, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding to human traditions. So what we see here is that Jesus, his people are eating, but, but they're, they're, they're not following the law, the law that the Pharisees would have had. The Pharisees would have had this law, hey, you need to be you know, ceremonially washing your hands and things like that. And so for, for a rabbi to have his, have his disciples not follow our law, uh, something, something's up. And Jesus says, look, these are not the commands of God, but you're holding on to human traditions. And in verse 14... Jesus says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. So we see Jesus, he kind of filters out the ceremonial law, this, this law that the Pharisees had kind of altered over time to, to make sure that you were ceremonially clean. Jesus says, look, that's, you're, you're kind of missing the point of the law. See, the, the ceremonial laws and the sacrificial laws and things in the Old Testament, they were given so that people could be, could be close and, and, and cleansed uh, of their sins and closer to God. But Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to filter that out. That's, that's not needed. In fact, there's nothing that can go in you that defiles you, but it's where your heart is, what comes out of you that defiles you. And if we go to, if we go to Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews talks about the law and says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Jesus even says that uh, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. And what this means is there, was, there were things according to the law that Jews were supposed to do, like, like giving offerings and things. And Jesus says, look, those things, it's just a yearly reminder of sin. It's not actually cleansing you once and for all, but, but my body and my blood will cleanse you once and for all. And so Jesus filters out these laws that were needed of ceremonial cleansing and, and sacrifice because of what he does on the cross for us. 
And while Jesus filters out some of the old law that the Pharisees were following, he provides a lens to other laws that the Pharisees were following. If we go to Matthew chapter 22, I know we're doing a lot of flipping around, but if we go to Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40, it says this, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So we see that Jesus provides a lens here. He says, yeah, there's, there's a lot of laws that you're following, but, but the, the two greatest commandments really are love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and the reason that those are the two most important is because all the other laws hang on that. And so essentially what he's saying to the Pharisees is, hey, if you're comparing people to your standards and following these laws, but you're not loving God or loving your neighbor, then there's no point in following the laws at all because you're missing the reason why the laws are there. We don't have time to get into it, but if, if you read in, in Luke chapter 10, um, there's another situation where, where an expert in the law, one of the Pharisees is coming. He's trying to, again, you know, trip up Jesus. And, and, he, and he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says, well, what do you think the greatest commandment is? He says, to, to love God and love others, essentially. Love your neighbor. And then the man says, but Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus provides a story where, where a man is, is robbed and and uh, left on the side of the road to die. And a priest is coming down the road and he doesn't want anything to do with the man that is, that is on the side of the road. And so he goes to the other side of the road and continues onward. And then a Levite does the same exact thing. And, and then a, a Samaritan, which in that day would have been an enemy of the Jewish people, comes and helps the man and, and, and provides a, a place for the man to stay and heal. And, and what we see is that Jesus says, yeah, you're following the law, and the law technically is love God and love your neighbor, but you're missing out on who your neighbor is. Your neighbor includes the Samaritan who you think is your enemy. And, and you can't just cherry pick who my neighbor is. If you're going to live by the law, you need to live by all the law and what it really means. So Jesus provides a lens to the Pharisees here saying, you guys are still missing the mark. And then in some ways, Jesus is a prism. We talked about how Jesus filters out some of the old laws. We don't need to follow them anymore. Jesus provides a lens to some laws, meaning, yeah, you know, the law is, is right, but, but here's a lens. You're not seeing it clearly. And then Jesus is a prism to some laws. What does that mean? Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 30. Jesus is, is talking to a, a multitude of people, and Jesus says this. He says, you have heard it said, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will also be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, rakah, which is a, a term for animosity, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. We see Jesus acting as a prism here, saying, look, you've heard it said, the law says don't murder. And that's true, you shouldn't murder. But he says your heart is in the same place if you have hatred for a brother or sister. He says, you know, 
a lot of the Pharisees are walking around saying, oh, I'm upholding the law. I've never murdered anybody. But he says, yeah, but you've hated your brother. You've hated your sister. Your heart's in the same place. You're not following the law. If you go to verse 27, Jesus continues. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And Jesus, again, he says, there's a lot of you walking around saying, oh, I'm, I'm following the law perfectly. I've never cheated on my wife. He says, yeah, but when you look at a woman lustfully, your heart's in the same exact place. So Jesus, he wants to show the Pharisees, yeah, you guys are following a law, but you're, you really just can't follow the law to a T. You're following a man-made set of laws that you've altered over time, and you're comparing others to them, judging them, trying to cancel other people out because they, they fit your narrative or they don't fit your narrative. And, and he says that's, that's, not, that's not reality because your condition of your heart is more important than your actions. And so what Jesus is trying to say here is every time we try and follow a man-made set of rules or try and judge others according to our standards, we're going to end up causing division, not unity. Earlier I said, I hope that together we can say that we're going to turn a new page today and that we can look forward and not backwards. And we can try and do whatever we can do in the next years to come to, to have a, a, a better culture, a better environment, and a better community. And I think a part of that is saying, you know what, I'm going to do whatever I can do to, to sow unity and not division. We need to be a people that are unified together again, not, not divided. People that aren't trying to cancel each other out, but are instead saying, hey, yeah, we disagree on this, and I may think that you are just whacked out of your mind for the reason that you believe that, but I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to, you know, be unified with you. You're still my brother. You're still my sister. You're my neighbor. See, the Pharisees and the elite of the day, they were dogmatic. Dogmatism and dogmatic people are characterized by, by people that have a belief where their worldview is absolute truth. The problem then is that they don't learn or respect any information that disagrees with that absolute truth. And overall, this will lead to them making poor decisions and a failure of society. I'm not here saying that there's no such thing as absolute truth. I'm, I believe that the Bible is absolutely true, that it's the inerrant word of God. I believe there is absolute truth. Where, where dogmatism comes into play is, is if I were to say, I so believe that, there is, that this is absolute truth, that anybody that disagrees with me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to criticize, I'm going to belittle, I'm going to devalue, and I'm, and I'm going to cut them out of my life. I'm going I'm to completely remove them because I don't want any of that outside influence to, to, to try and change my worldview. Now, if I believe that the Bible's absolute truth, I shouldn't have any problem with my neighbor who might disagree with me because I should be so rooted in the Bible and so believing that this is absolute truth that no matter what my neighbor that disagrees with me says, it shouldn't waver what I believe about the Bible. And, and see, the Pharisees, they were so caught up in their worldview of these rules and laws that had to be followed. And then they started to judge people's character by comparing them to their man-made set of rules. They were dogmatic. They started to use those rules to oppress others, to judge others, and cause division rather than unity. As the dogmatic people they were, 
Anything that argued with their set of laws was thrown away as heresy, and therefore they actually missed the ability to truly follow God, which in turn violates the very mission that they had for the laws in the first place. See, the laws were there to bring people closer to God, but as people, as the Pharisees started to, to alter them and, and judge others and use those laws to devalue and belittle people, it actually ended up causing division and, and, and moved them further away from God, which was the exact opposite for what they should have been doing. See, so anytime we use a man-made set of standards to judge others, we will, we will create a system that fails. I think that's what we're seeing. We've, we've had our own opinions, we've had our own beliefs. I have my own opinions, I have my own beliefs. But the minute I start to use those set of standards to judge someone else, it's not going to go well. It's going to cause division and not unity. I'm going to welcome the, the worship team to, to come up, if you would. Did Jesus condone the thievery of the tax collectors that he ate with? Jesus never condoned the thievery of the tax collectors or the sinners. He never condoned the sin. But then why did Jesus eat with them? Because he saw them through God's eyes. People that were created in God's image. And he loved them so much that he was actually willing to die on the cross for them. See, there's lots of things that you and I do every single day that miss the mark and we sin. Does that all of a sudden mean that Jesus wouldn't share a meal with us? No, Jesus loves us. He died on the cross for us. Even in the midst of our sin, Jesus is with us. He loves us. Because Jesus isn't comparing us to, to these sets of standards, but Jesus is saying, because I died on the cross, the, the standards are not so relevant. What, what, what really matters is that you have relationship with me. Not that you meet every single little law and detail. So let us be people that put our standards away. Let us not become dogmatic, thinking that our worldview is so absolutely true and that anyone who threatens that view is no longer worthy of our respect or our love. Let us be people that see others the way God sees them. I think in these next four years, if we really want to see the world be a better place, we need to see people not as Republican or not as Democrat, but see them as Americans. See us as our brothers and sisters again, our, our family. And I understand, I'm, I, have, I have so many beliefs and opinions that I feel so strongly about. And, and I, I'm, I'm involved in politics and I, I, I love thinking about politics and stuff like that. I'm just wired that way and, and I get it. And there's times when I'm frustrated and I can't understand why the person across the aisle just can't see the way that I see things. But where we get into trouble, this idea of cancel culture that we're, we're living in today is when I start to devalue that person. I start to see them as, as someone that it's just easier just to have them out of my life than to try and, and sow any sort of friendship or relationship with that person. my sister posted a quote on Facebook and I, it didn't say who wrote the quote. I just want you to know it's, it's not my own genius. I'm taking someone else's uh, idea. But the quote said this, it says, Jesus didn't die for us 
so that we could continue treating people the way people treated him. See, people, the way people treated him, they treated him trying to silence him because he wasn't fitting up to the standards of, of the law. At least what they saw the law to be. It was a, it was a man-made st- standard. And, and Jesus was threatening that, and so they, they ridiculed him, they, they criticized him. They ended up hanging him on a cross and, and killing him. But Jesus was willing to do that because he loves us. And even as Jesus was dying on the cross, he said, God, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And Jesus even saw these people, they're so caught up in this this man-made way of life, these standards, this this oppressive system, the, the judgment and the division that is amongst each other, that it's ultimately led to them crucifying me on a cross. And then Jesus still said, just forgive them. They, they don't understand what they're doing. And so let us be people that recognize that Jesus didn't die for us just so that we could do the same thing to others that those people did to him. The people were, were divisive. They weren't together. They weren't loving one another. And Jesus died for us so that we could have a better way, a way that we don't have to follow all these man-made laws and and regulations and judging other people. We don't have to be so worried about missing the mark because Jesus died on the cross. The, the, The mark's been hit. He did it for us. And so I really hope today that we can all come together and say, you know, Jesus, call me to be who I need to be to to create a a culture of unity in my family, in my workplace, in my church. Let's just be people of unity and love, seeing people the way God sees them, not the way that our politicians see them or not the way that our, our Facebook feed tells us to see them. Let's just see them as people that God created and that God loved enough to die on the cross for. And I think together, if all of us in this room can just say, you know, whether President Trump or President Biden is in office, whatever the case, that's not going to change my mission, which is to love other people and, 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 and push forward the mission and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's first and foremost our most important goal. And if we want the next four years to be better than the last four, we all today need to say, I'm going to do whatever I can to to bring unity and to push forward the gospel before I push forward any of my political ideas or my own sets of standards. Let's pray today and then and then our worship team is going to lead us in another song to dismiss. But today as, as I pray, if, if you feel like this message is just on your heart, you feel like you just need to react in a, in a physical way to say, yep, I'm turning the page. If you just want to raise your hand as we pray, you can do that. If you're at home, you want to get on your knees and pray, we can do that. Whatever it is, I just, I want us together in this room as we pray to recognize that we want the next four years to be better than the last four. And we want to do whatever we can to bring unity and the gospel of Jesus to as many people as we can. We want to truly love our neighbor. So will you pray with me today? Jesus, God, you love each and every single one of us, no matter our political beliefs, no matter our our moral standards, God. You, You love each and every single one of us. We're all created in your image, Lord. And and so, God, we just pray, Lord, that that 
we can be the people that, that start a movement to bring unity, not division, to bring your love and your peace, not hatred and, and, and disagreement. God, I just pray that each and every single one of us today can see that it's time to turn the page, to look forward, not backwards, and to say, Jesus, what, what can I do this week, this month, this year, to bring unity and peace in my family, in my workplace. God, within, within people that maybe, God, there's so many people in this room probably that have broken relationships because of politics or because of racial division or, or, or whatever's going on. There's probably so many people in this room that can say, yep, that relationship that I once had, it's not as good because of everything that's been going on. Lord, I pray that you can heal those relationships, God that together we will be a people that see each other as brothers and sisters, not as enemies. So Lord, we pray, bring us peace, bring us love and bring us unification. In Jesus' name, amen.